Well, I'm praying this short series that we do on Christ, that we're in the middle of on Christian marriage is going to be an encouragement to you, is going to be a help to you. I'm not sure that there's many things that are more important about being Christian than being in a Christian marriage. I mean, of course, that's for those of you who are married. Uh, but I mean, what, the way that the first place that we live out our relationship with Jesus uh, needs to be in our home and needs to be with our kids and with our spouse, especially. Uh, last week, I started this series, and that was, I guess last, last week, that sermon was kind of the anchor sermon. Uh, it really helped to give an explanation for everything. However, we were not able to record it last week uh, because we, uh, we had some problems with our sound. And I was going to tell those of you who were here this week uh, to go back uh, and listen to the one from next week if you missed it. Uh, but one of the things that I talked about last week that I think is really, really important is the fact that a Christian marriage is something that we build. It's not something that just naturally happens. We don't just automatically find ourselves in a Christian marriage just because we believe in Jesus and just because we're Christian. It takes work, and it's something that over time we have to build. You, you, and I said this last week, you may get married on a day during a ceremony, but you don't really become married. You don't really, you don't really build a marriage until you do that intentionally over time. And what I tried to point out last week, and I think this is so important, what I tried to point out last week was that the model that we use to build a Christian marriage is, is not some model that we find out in the world. It's not even a model that we get from our favorite couple, although that might be helpful. We have to look at the model that God has given us in the Bible. And the model relationship that God's given us in the Bible that we look to in order to have a Christian marriage is we look at the Christ Church model. I went to great extent last week as we read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through verse 33. I, I, I went through extensively to try to show how that verse is not just about husbands and wives. Those verses are about the model of marriage that husband and wives are supposed to look to, and that is the relationship between Christ and church. And I made a statement that I think is so important, and that is that Christian marriage is founded in Christ, and it is grounded in the church. This is so important. After all, if the Christ-church relationship is our model, then it just follows, it just makes sense that we have to be founded in Christ and our relationships, our marriages, have to be grounded in the church if they're going to flourish. And so I pulled out two basic principles of the Christ-church relationship that forms a model for us to follow. And uh, one is that Christ loves the church, his bride, and sacrificed himself for her. There's, there's, a, there, there's, a, um, uh, there's an application that we can draw about this principle. Men, you aren't going to physically get on a cross and physically die for your wife, but there's a principle that Christ gave us that we're supposed to follow in that. And ladies, likewise, uh, the Bible says the church submits to Jesus' headship. This doesn't mean that you walk around and he's in charge and he's the boss and he tells you everything to do all the time. Obviously, that's not even the way that Jesus relates to the church. So there's something in there that's more than that. And so these two principles, I tried to bring it down to just two words for you to cling to, and that is the word submission and sacrifice, both of which we find in the nature of Christ 
and in the nature of God, and we see them beautifully pictured in the gospel itself. And so uh, this is kind of the statement that I gave to you, but basically how the wife infuses the gospel uh, in the relationship, and then the husband, this is what we're going to talk about today. This is kind of where we left off last week. The husband sacrifices himself for Christ and the wife, and then as a result, both husband and wife, they embrace these principles of sacrifice, love, submission to each other, commitment, and they do this in the fullest manner possible so that there can be oneness, and I'm going to talk about that a lot today, oneness that is accomplished uh, in the marriage. Now listen, this is difficult for people. Uh, this is this is this is anti-cultural. Uh, this is not something that is easy sometimes for us to understand as we bring outside influences into our relationships and into our marriage. But basically, the view of marriage and specifically the view of gender roles in marriage that I'm going to present to you today is one that is called complementarianism. Now. I'm sorry to give you a fancy term, I really am, but I think it's important. Uh, this, this is the view, what we believe is the biblical view. And while you can go to Scripture and read a lot of Bible verses and put it all together yourself, there are a group of interdenominational pastors who did that uh, 30-something years ago, and uh, they came out with a statement called the Danvers Statement. I want to encourage you to Google that. Don't read it while I'm preaching, please. You can look at that. You can look at that some other time. You can Google that statement. It's only two pages, and it gives a, a very well-rounded view and, and a good explanation of what complementarianism is. So I encourage you to read that between, uh, between now and next week. It might help make some sense for a framework of not just what we're talking about in marriage, but what we believe about gender, what we believe about culture, and how a lot of things that we believe are anti-cultural. But let me give you just a simple, can, I wanna give you just a simple statement of what complementarianism is before I actually preach it today to the husbands and next week's next week to the wives. But here's, here's just a simple statement that I wrote that I hope will be helpful to you in this framework, okay? And basically is that husband and wife, they embrace their biblical roles in marriage in order to complement or complete each other so as to achieve oneness, and that's important, to achieve the oneness of God's original design for marriage as described in Genesis 2.24. Now listen, I'm going to throw a lot at you today. I tried to give you some extended notes on the back of your bulletin. I'm going to give you so much today, and I'm going to talk so fast that, that men, by the end of it, you might still be trying to process. I hope that you'll take some of these things and study them and process them throughout this week and pray over them. Um, but this, this, this verse, Genesis 2.24, it lays the foundation for our view of marriage, which we believe, and the way that we describe it, is, is complementarian in nature. That verse was quoted, quoted by Jesus. I'm going to show you that in a minute. It was quoted by Paul in our text today in Ephesians chapter 5. And I can tell you that... It seems to me that pastors have become squeamish about preaching on gender roles. 
And the only reason that this is the case is because we have become so overly influenced by our culture from over the past 50 years. And I said this last week, I want to repeat it this week, that if we as Christians, if we can't embrace the differences of gender as it is related to our marriage relationship with our spouse, why would we be surprised that culture has come up with all of these, these distorted views of gender, transgender, cisgender, non-binary, binary, all these things. Is it any surprise that our culture is that way? We can't be squeamish about this. We have to look at this. We have to embrace it. And what we have to do is we have to untangle any, any of our cultural things that we've been taught and, and this is important, any experiential things, even within our own relationships and our own marriage, so that we can come to a full view of what God has to say to us about these things. Now, there are some alternate views to complementarianism. Uh, one is called egalitarianism. How many of you have heard that term before? Egalitarianism. It's, I bet these college students, man, I bet y'all hear it all the time. And the other one is called patriarchalism. Again, sorry for the terms. Uh, you can look these up later, but the, the, the prevailing view of our culture is egalitarianism. And there are some Christians that have tried to baptize this view and make it Christian by pulling verses out of context. It doesn't work. It does not bring about the oneness that we're looking for and that God designed for us originally at creation, it just doesn't achieve it. It's like this 50-50 kind of relationship. Well, you do half and I do half, and you get half and I get half, and I put this much effort forward and you put that much effort forward. Listen, anybody in this room, if you've been married more than 10 seconds, you know that 50-50 don't work. Pardon my English. Uh, it, just, it just doesn't. It doesn't work. Uh, so, and then... The prevailing view of ancient culture, the culture in which Jesus spoke, the culture in which the Apostle Paul wrote the words in Ephesians that we're about to read, the prevailing, uh, the prevailing view of ancient culture was patriarchalism. And it basically says the husband is of higher rank than the wife and is more valuable. Well, you can see there's some problems with both of these views, and our view of complementarianism is as countercultural today as it was in Jesus' day and in the Apostle Paul's day. And here's some, here's some problems with these views. I'll just give these to you quickly. Uh, first off, these views do not line up with Scripture. There are some people that want to try to pull some Old Testament verses out of context and say that patriarchalism is okay. There are some people that want to try to pull some New Testament verses out of context and say that egalitarianism is okay. Uh, but there's some problems here because neither one of them really align with Scripture, and they, they don't reflect our model. They just don't. They don't reflect the model of the Christ-Church relationship. Jesus and his church, they don't, relate, they don't relate to each other in these egalitarian, patriarchal type ways. And this next one, I was hoping during this series, and I had every intention of really showing a parallel between the husband and wife role and the role of God the Father, God the Son. I was hoping to really try to talk more about that, but 
I, I, just, I just don't have time. But suffice it to say that egalitarianism, this equality, it doesn't exist between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not like they're all competing for some type of 33-33-33 relationship that everything's equal. That's not how it works. And neither is it patriarchal. God the Father is not looking at God the Son saying, I'm in charge of you, boy. I mean, it just, it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. And practically speaking, because of all of these things, egalitarianism and patriarchalism, they fall short of giving to us that oneness that we crave as human beings in a marriage and as God originally designed for us to have in the Garden of Eden, as we see with the relationship between Adam and Eve before sin entered the world. And that's so important to understand. Listen, there might be some places where ranking people works. Anybody ever been to the military? All right, people get ranked, all right? It works, right? That's, that's what we do in the military. Marriage is not a military. There may be some places where... Uh, egalitarianism works. Make sure I get as much as you do. Uh, like men and women in the workplace. Obviously, we agree with that. But y'all, this, this, these are just not our view of marriage. And we have to be so careful that we don't allow them to enter in. So let's stand and read some text today. Uh, Ephesians 5. Men, this is for you today. Uh, ladies, I think it's important for you to pay attention also. But men, this is for us. And I'm just going to tell you, can I, can I just be honest? I'm just going to be totally transparent with you today. I feel like I'm a lot better at preaching this stuff than I am living this stuff. And I think, men, when I get to the end, you're going to be just like me, and you're going to say, God help me. But don't we want a high standard? Are we looking for a high standard? Aren't we, don't we want God's best? Yes, we do. So let's look at this together with a humble heart and, 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 and set our goals to where Christ wants it to be today. Look at these verses. Look what, look what God says to the husband. Husbands, this is your command. It's non-negotiable. If you're a Christian, these are commands that God has given to you as a husband. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. And look, verse 31. Verse 31 is the quote from Genesis 2.24. Here it is. This is a mis... Uh, oh, sorry. Verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. God, today, help us to be like you. Lord, for all of us men in the room, for all of us who are married in the room, Lord, help us 
to be like you and how we relate to our wives. And show us what that looks like today, Lord. Help us with it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, you notice that last week we read verses 22 through verses 33. And today we only left out two verses. And the, the, all of the body of text that we just read, pretty much the whole context, almost all of it, except for two and a half verses, all of it is geared towards the husbands. Do you think that was by accident? Do you think that God accidentally wrote more and said more to the husband than he did to the wife? Do you, do you think God does stuff by accident? Do you think that after it was over, God chuckled and said, oops, I accidentally got on men a little more than I got on women. I, 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 think, it, I think it was intentional. I believe that God gave us these verses because, and he gave us these verses in this way, because men, we bear the responsibility. We bear the responsibility for the condition of the marriage and for the climate of the home. It's on us. Do you know a foundational principle of manhood is taking responsibility and not blaming someone else. You know, our, our great, 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 all the way back, however great he was, grandfather Adam in the garden, he tried to pass blame because of the condition of his relationship with his wife after they sinned. And he said, you know what, God, that woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. You know, we as men are to take responsibility. And our marriage and the condition of our marriage is our responsibility. Uh, it's on me. You have to be able to say that. This does not mean that you get the credit for everything good or you get the direct blame for everything that has happened that is bad. But what it does mean that in a general sense, you have responsibility for the condition of the home and of the wife and of the marriage. And so the first thing that we have to see here in this, in this, in this passage that describes this is that the husband is the head of the wife. All right, now, headship. Some of you think that means something that it doesn't. Cook my food, woman. Can I just suggest to you, men, that if that's the place where you take this word, I'm in charge here. I'm the head of this house. You're going to do what I say. Can I suggest to you that that attitude is not going to bring about oneness between you and your spouse? It's, in fact you will probably end up on the couch. I was tempted, I have to tell you, I was tempted to use a different word than head. I was praying, I was like, Lord, you know, saying that a husband is head of the wife, that's, I don't know if I ought to do that. I mean, they might not take that very well. And so I was like, you know what, God, how about this? I can use a word that maybe is less offensive to our culture, 
maybe, I don't know, possibly more acceptable to the ladies in the room. And you know what, God, I could use a word that has less of a risk that men would misunderstand it. But then it kind of occurred to me that God's words are better than mine. That the way that he says things ought to be the way that we say things. And this is not the first time that he said it. In fact, when we look at this other verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, that helps us to understand headship a little bit better. In 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, it says this. He says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband. See, there's that principle again of headship of the husband. And the head of Christ is God. But this time, it's given to us in a broader context than just husband and wife. It shows us how there's a headship that exists between the man or the husband and Jesus. And it shows how there's even this headship that exists between God the Son and God the Father. And I want to suggest to you that in no way are any of these egalitarian in nature where there's this competition to get 50-50, and neither one of them are patriarchal in nature to where one person's trying to rank themselves in a powerful way over another. And so I think this verse is so critical in understanding headship as it is related to marriage because we get to see it in a broader context. So here's what I want to say about this. Headship equals responsibility, not rank. Write that down. Responsibility, not rank. If you think that you have a higher rank or you are of more value than your wife, as if, you know, you're going you're gonna to walk in and be like, all right, you heard what the preacher said. There's going to be a new sheriff in town in this house. Uh, you will be so far off the couch and into the doghouse, uh, she will buck that. And she has every right to, by the way, because you're not acting like Jesus at that point, the way Jesus relates to you. You're not acting like God the Father at that point in the way that God the Father relates to his beloved son. But what this does mean, and you need to get this part, responsibility means that we take responsibility for three things. Men, this is important. We take responsibility for the condition of the marriage. No matter, listen, no matter who did what, not, no, that's not a debate. No matter who did what or who said what or no matter what happened, you take responsibility. This is on me. You take responsibility for the condition of the marriage. And you take responsibility for the emotional condition of your wife. Is she blessed? Is she flourishing? Is she happy? If not, why not? And say, I am going to take responsibility for her because just like Christ wants the church to flourish, I want my wife to flourish. And then you take responsibility for the spiritual condition of your home. 
That is what you do as the head, as the person that is responsible. Now listen, ladies, that doesn't mean that you have no part in it. We obviously know that. It doesn't mean that you take no part in it, that you have no say-so in it. Obviously doesn't mean that. We'll talk about that next week. It just means that men, if the Lord comes walking in the cool of the day like he did with Adam whenever a bomb had gone off in his marriage and in his life between Eve and, and Adam, that when if God comes calling and he comes saying, hey, what's going on here? You are the first person that he is going to look for. And, 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 and you might try to say, well, Lord, this woman did this, that, or the other. It didn't work in the Garden of Eden, and it's not going to work in your marriage as well. You have to say, it is on me. I take responsibility. Men, are you, are you like me? Are you, feeling, are you feeling a little heavy right now? Are you feeling a little bit like, oof, man, that's a tall order? Listen, men, you are adequate to this task. You are adequate to this task because God has naturally equipped you. He has naturally equipped you as a man to assume responsibility. You do it all the time in all types of places. He's naturally equipped you. He has divinely called you through his word, through these verses that we have, that we have read, and he will. If you ask him, if you beg him, and if you're willing to do the hard work, he will spiritually empower you. And ironically, (laughs) to be a head like this requires a great deal of submission and humility and, and all types of things. But maybe you would say, how do I do this? I mean, how? How, how, do, how do I do this? I know how to negotiate 50-50. Maybe you do that at work. I know how to negotiate 50-50. I know how to come in with, 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 with power and rank. But God, how do I, how do I, how do I create this, this beautiful headship that's supposed to exist between me and my wife uh, that I know that she wants and I know that I want? How, how do I do this? And this is how we do it. Our primary way that we do it is through love. Our primary role is to establish and maintain a Christ-centered love in the marriage. And so a Christian husband, sacrificially, not just verbally, not just attitudinally, a, a, a Christian husband sacrificially loves his wife. That's what all these verses are about. All these verses are basically the Apostle Paul, basically God's Word saying, Husbands, you're the head, and here's how you do it. I mean, that's basically what we see. The husbands, you're the head. Now, here is how, here's how you do it. And we do it, we do it through loving her and loving her sacrificially in as big of a way as possible. Here's a way of expressing it. Maybe this makes sense. Uh, love is the, is the channel through which your headship flows. Does that make sense? It's like love is, love is the way that your headship and responsibility is channeled into the relationship in a way that it can flourish. And if that sacrificial love is absent, listen, man, if that sacrificial love is absent, 
you will fail at being the head in a complementarian way, the way that God designed it to be. You might, try to, you, you might be able to attain it in a patriarchal type of way, but you, you, you will never, with, without love, you will fail to properly take responsibility and be the head of the household. It has to be love. And listen, I personally believe that, as, that, 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 uh, that the wives, that your wife included, is naturally designed by God to respect you and to respond to you and even to submit to you. And we'll talk about what that means next week. But only as she feels loved and cherished and validated and listened to and led into blessing. As she feels completely loved by you, by you giving yourself to her and sacrificing yourself for her. Here's, here, here's a picture. Love her selfishly and lavishly. Selfishly. No, that's not a typo. Although I think I'm using that word wrong. I'm kind of trying to get a point across to you. Selfishly. Think about it. The Bible says that we are to love her, husbands, as our own bodies, the same way that we cherish and care for ourselves. Now, look, some of you dudes spend way too much time in the mirror. I mean, you just do. Uh, but in the same way we cherish our own bodies, the Bible says he who loves his wife loves himself. It, we love her like our own flesh, nourish and cherish it. Um, because that's how Christ does the church. And I know selfishly it doesn't, doesn't come across very well, but you get what I'm trying to, you, what I'm trying to say is you love her in, in, in that type of way. That you're called to climb up on a cross for her. That you will do anything for her. That you will sacrifice yourself for her. And men, listen, not just when you think she's worth it. Not just when you think she's deserved it. Not just when you think she's earned it. Because that's not how Jesus loved you. Jesus loved you in spite of you. Jesus wasn't sitting up in heaven deliberating with God the Father before he came to earth and said, Hey, you know what? I'm not so sure about that Scott Parkinson kid. I mean, I don't know if he really deserves me to, for me to sacrifice and die for his sins. I'm not sure he's worthy of that. So maybe we ought to leave him out because he hadn't really earned it. But that's not the way Jesus related to us. Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Okay, wives, let me talk to you wives. I'm going to talk to you all tomorrow. I'm, tomorrow. I'm going to talk to you all next week. I want you to pay attention to something right quick, though. You cannot demand this from your husband. You cannot demand it. You can never go to him and say, you're the head of this house. Everything's going on. It's on you. It's on you, big boy. It's time for you to step up. It's time for you to take charge. And you need to be loving me and sacrificing for me. I'm not emotionally happy. And I need you to do something about it. This marriage is not good. It's on you, big boy. Come on, head. Get to it. All right. You cannot demand this from him. It, you, 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 ruin, you, you, you ruin it if you do that. And I know that most of you in the room, you would never talk to your husband like that. 
you know, you would never demean him. You would never, you know, speak to him in, in, in that manner. Just like hopefully he would never look at you and say, you know, submit and cook my food and do what I say. I mean, but at the same time, you, you have to check your heart. You have to check your heart. Are you feeling that way on the inside? I'm not getting what I deserve, and he should be doing this. And you have to, you have to really be careful to not let it spoil, because you don't want him to be like, okay, I'll just do whatever you say. That's fine. I'll, I'll do it. You don't, you don't want him to love you like that. You want, you want him to love you the same way that Jesus loved us and willingly sacrificed himself, he took the initiative to do it. You've got to give him opportunity and space, but check your heart and don't, don't be demanding uh, when, it, when, it comes, uh, when it comes to this. Okay, third one, and I'm done. Third one, a Christian husband holds fast to his wife. A Christian husband takes responsibility as head. A Christian husband sacrifices himself in love for his wife. But a Christian husband holds fast to his wife. All right, I have any stubborn men in the house. Where are my stubborn men? All right, got any stubborn men around here? Oh, come on. You're being stubborn and not raising your hand. You know the most stubborn men I know will never admit to being stubborn. I ain't stubborn. What you talking about? You know, we're stubborn, aren't we? I mean, we are a, when I, when I look at the children of Israel and the Bible says they were stiff-necked, I think he was talking about, I think he's talking about the men, uh, that they were a bunch of stiff-necked, rebellious. We know how to be stubborn, right? Man, we're out there fishing, it's 39 degrees and or excuse me, it's, tw- it's 29 degrees in February. We don't care. Man, we're going to catch that fish. That big buck, I've got him on camera. I will move heaven and earth. I will call in sick. I will neglect feeding my kids. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to go after them. We do it at work. you got a task, something you have to accomplish. We know how to be stubborn. Men know how to be stubborn. Let's do that in our marriages. Are you with me, men? Are you with me? Y'all better say amen. Your wives are sitting right there. Are y'all, y'all with me? Y'all ready to be stubborn? Y'all ready to put a little, a little stubbornness in our relationship with our, with our wife and say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to hold fast to her. That's what a Christian husband does. He says, I'm going to hold fast to you no matter what. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, I am holding fast to you with everything that I have. This verse right here. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two, here's our complementarianism, the two will become one flesh. Y- y'all, this is explicitly teaching and, and, and giving us a picture of a sexual relationship, but not just a physical relationship, a fulfilling relationship that is sexual, that is emotional, that is verbal, that is relational, and that is 100% Christian in every way that God designed it as husband and wife come together and complement each other. And one of the ways that it had happens is through the stubborn commitment of the husband. Again, husbands, do you think it's by accident that God talks to us so much? 
You think, do you think it's by accident that it doesn't say, therefore a woman shall leave her father and mother and cling to her, to her husband? Do you think there's a coincidence that God said it that way? And listen, he said it more than one time. He said it in Genesis 2, 24. And listen, this is something that, egal- that, this is something that egalitarians try to say. Egalitarians try to say, oh, all you complementarians, uh, y'all are just, all that stuff just happened after the fall. No, this is before sin entered the world. There was no sin anywhere. And we see this wonderful complementarian type relationship. It's just Ephesians tells us how we live it out through the Christ church relationship but the point is it's quoted in Genesis 2 24 and Jesus quotes it in Matthew 19 5 I'll read that in just a moment when Jesus was asked about marriage go back to the other one if you don't mind go back to that first one they did the same thing in the first service by the way to the previous slide um, when Jesus was asked about marriage he did so, so he, he quoted this verse and again, I'll show you that one in just a second. And then the, our, our text that we read today is also quoted. I want, you to, I want you to understand something. There are three critical points in the Bible where marriage is talked about. One at creation, Genesis 2. One when Jesus, the Son of God, gave us his definition of marriage and one is in Ephesians chapter 5, where, we, where we're delving into in this series. All three of those places, you find this verse right here. A Christian husband holding fast to his wife. This is how you maintain it. Now, here's what Jesus said. Go to the next slide now. In Matthew 19, verse 5 through 6, Jesus added a little something to it. He added a little something to it. He said, hold fast his wife from one flesh. And he said, so they are no longer two independent persons, but they are one flesh. And look what Jesus said. This is, this is what Jesus says. He says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now let me, now let me, let me, let me tell you what this means, okay? Hold fast means a lifelong commitment to the marriage. Okay? We know that. We know we should stay married. A lifelong commitment to the marriage. But it's more than that. Don't miss this. It is a lifelong commitment to hold fast in the marriage. We all know that you can stay married and still feel separate. That you can stay married and still have things that come in between you and divide you. You can, you can stay in the marriage and still have things that pull you away from your husband and pull your husband away from you and pull your wife away and vice versa. I mean, there's, there's these things that come along. Some of those things are jobs and employment. Some of those things could be recreation. Uh, some of those things could be kids. They could be sports, money. I mean, all types of things. There is no limit to the things that Satan wants to kind of lob into your marriage to try to put separation between you and your wife. And listen, men, what you're called to do is you're called to say, uh-uh, we're not letting that in. 
You're called to do what Adam didn't do in the garden with Eve whenever she was tempted. Um, you were called to go over there and to take your seven iron and smash that old serpent, the devil, in the head and get rid of him. And get rid, of, get rid of whatever it is that Satan might throw at the relationship that might bring separation relationally, emotionally, and spiritually between you and your wife. This is one of our responsibilities as the head, is we guard against that. We don't let anything separate us. I know what you're thinking, man. What if I've tried it? And she won't, she won't do it. I've tried to take responsibility. I've tried to love her sacrificially. I've tried to hold fast. It just, it's, just, it's just not working. Here's what I'd tell you to do. First thing I'd tell you to do is get help. I'd tell you to get help. One, let me tell you something. The worst thing, the worst thing that you can do if you're having problems in your marriage, the worst thing that you can do is to keep it private. That is the worst thing. That, this, if, if you hate your marriage and want it to end, keep it private because that's what you're doing. If, if that, is, that is the biggest mistake that couples make. Is that, it amazes me how, how as Christian people we think our marriages are private. No, they're not. Christian marriage is founded in Christ. It's grounded in the church we are all in this together. The worst thing that you can do for your marriage if you're having problems is to keep it private. You want, me to, you want me to tell you the second worst thing that you can do for your marriage? Here's the second worst thing that you can do for your marriage if you're having problems. is to only tell people that will take your side. Just find a group of men that will just bash your wife with you. Well, I can't believe she do that. I can't believe you stay with her. I know. I don't know. And wives, you find a group of women just like, against him. Those are the two worst things that you can do. Keep it private or only tell people who will take your side. Find people that will take the side of the marriage. And that will, that will say, you know what? The two of you as individuals is not what's important here. The two of you as one is what is most important and is the goal. Get help. That would, be, that would be my first encouragement to you. Get help. Your marriage is not private. It's not. God sees it, and you're a part of his body. And you say, okay, I want to get help. And I try. And then what do I do? I'll tell you what you do, man. You just keep getting on a cross for her. That's what God wants you to do. You just keep getting on the cross for her. You just keep dying to self. You just keep sacrificing. You just keep seeking to fulfill your responsibility in the marriage. And you just pray. And you, and, and, and you, and you seek help. Look, I, I know that this, man, that's a lot of information. Isn't it? You got it, college students? All you single men? All you single dudes out there? Y'all got it? Y'all ready? Huh? All you teenagers? You teenagers, y'all aren't too young for this. I mean, this is, this, is, this is the kind of stuff that helps you to make the right choices uh, in, a, in, a, in a marriage partner. But I know this is a lot of stuff, and I know we're all in different places. Some of you have been married for a long, 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 long time, and you're in a fulfilling and great marriage. And if that's you, I want you to offer yourself to a younger couple. 
If you're in a great marriage, find a younger couple and mentor them. Some of you, maybe you've just been married a while and things aren't great. Maybe there's some separation. We are all on a spectrum. Some of you might be right on the edge. Some of you might have talked to a lawyer about divorce this past week. I mean, we are all on the spectrum. I promise you, based upon the authority of the Word of God, that Ephesians chapter 5 is the antidote to any problem, any poison that might exist in your marriage. I believe the Word of God. I believe it's true in what He says. And so I want us to respond, obviously, in prayer today. Let's, let's, let's stand. Let's all stand together. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and if you are not married, I want you to pray that God would guide you into the type of relationship described in His Word. I want you to ask God for it. I want you to say, Jesus, please help me to find a marriage that looks like the relationship between Christ and the church. Ask God for it. I want to ask you to make a commitment if you're single. If you're, if you're not married and you plan to be married. Some of you might be single and you don't ever plan to get married again. And that's good too. The Bible talks about that. But if you're single and you're looking to get married. I want you to, I want you to make a commitment. I want you to tell the Lord that you will not get married until he says yes. I want you to make a commitment. Especially you younger college students, you high school students, young singles, the, the young, all young people that have never been married, I want you to make a commitment right now that you will not marry without asking Jesus' permission first. He is your head. Get him to sign off on it. Now, husbands, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer. Husbands, I want you to tell God right now in your own words that you want to take responsibility for your marriage, for your wife, and for your home. Just tell Him in your own words. Say, Jesus, help me. Help me to take responsibility. Help me to love my wife. Help me to hold fast. Show me how to do it. Wives, I want you to pray for your husband right now. I don't want you to pray for God to fix him. I don't want you to pray, Lord, I really hope he was listening to such and such point. I don't want you to pray that. I don't pray that. I want you to pray for him to be a godly husband. Just pray for him to be godly. You spend some time in prayer, come to the altar if you like. Then we'll pray and sing.